it's been a it's been a challenging week in a lot of ways. Uh, very, very divisive week, I think, as a nation. Um, you probably know what I'm talking about, but if you've been on Facebook, you've probably read a lot of oh goodness posts that make you cringe or uh, disrupt you, anger you, whatever it may be. However you respond to these, um, if you're on social media, that is. We're just we're a nation divided. And oftentimes with division comes poking and prodding and hating and, and, and words that we would never use in face-to-face conversations. So we have that on one hand, and then I don't know how many of you heard, um, probably most of you by this point, but on Thursday afternoon, a woman was found in her car um, who had passed away from a drug-related circumstance. The details are even still a little hazy as to how she died, but it was drug-related. Um, and that happened on our property, you know? And so that just hits us. That just hits us in a way that uh, I think is profound and challenging. And we want to be a church that responds to situations like this and situations that we find on social media in, of course, the most loving way possible. We want to be a church that is known by our love, that is uh, known by God's love for us and us responding to God's love. And so uh, I think it's appropriate that we're in a series called Love and Other Messy Things because love, if we're going to respond um, to the world and its issues, um, is going to, I think, very be, be very messy. But one of the principles uh, that is guiding us in the series is this, and we've said this every single week so far, that following Jesus is not about what we do. Following Jesus is about what God has done and what he continues to do in us. This last part is actually exceptionally important, that it's not just about Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead, but it's about that spirit continually at work in us, helping us to become more and more like Jesus. So if you were here the last week, we also learned that not only is the mark of following Jesus this empowering love of the Holy Spirit, but that this is also what it means to be human. And so oftentimes we, we bump up against an animal instinct, which is to put myself at the very center of my being and live out of that, or do we choose to be human, which I think Scripture tells us and Jesus informs us and provides an example of the greatest human action, which is to lay down your life for another, to love another. But how is it then that we are meant to love, right? That is something that we do, that is an action that we do, and that is defines our relationship with God, it defines our humanity. But that following Jesus is not about what we do. Doesn't it seem a little contradictory? Doesn't it seem a little confusing? How are we supposed to understand how these two work together? And last week I answered that question by asking a very simple question, and that question was this, who grows the pumpkin? You know, if you were to go to a pumpkin patch, a farmer might say, hey, look at all these pumpkins that I, I grew. Uh, but in reality, the farmer just tends to the pumpkins. The, father, the, the farmer cares for them. He may cultivate their growth, but the, he does not grow the pumpkin. The, the, the vine grows the pumpkin. There are a number of factors that grow the pumpkin, but the vine grows the pumpkin. Likewise, love is a fruit that is generated by God's Spirit. We are in cooperation with God's Spirit to love through us. Love is a fruit generated by God's Spirit. It's not a fruit of me just trying really hard or, or me just, you know, willing up the effort or conjuring up the effort to try hard. That is not how we love another. It is generated by God's Spirit. It is a fruit of God's Spirit. It's not something that we can do. John wrote in his first letter that love comes from God. It's from God, right? God is the source of our love. Jesus said in John that if you remain in me, then you will produce fruit. You will be able to love if you remain in me, because apart from me, you can't do anything. So this morning, I want to continue this conversation. 
if God produces the fruit in us, if he generates the fruit of love in us, then what is our responsibility? That's a question I want to address this morning. What are we supposed to do? And the bottom line that I hope that you can grasp this morning, and it's so simple, it's almost like, it's almost so simple, it just, it, it, it glan- we glance over it so often, it just goes over our head because it's so simple. If you want the Spirit of God to empower your love, then you have to ask for it. That's it. Ask for it. Ask that God would empower your love. Or in other words, we need to learn to pray. So often I have conversations with people about prayer, and they're like, you know, Ross, uh, I, I tried praying, and praying just seems so awkward, because who am I praying to? You know, what am I praying to? Am I just speaking to the air? Am I talking to myself? What's happening? What, what, what's going on when I pray? They seem like God is so far away, and we forget that God is actually intimately close to us. And so prayer just seems so awkward for so many people. They don't know what to say. They don't know what to do with their hands. What do I do with my legs? What do, I, do I kneel? Do I stand? Do I sit? Do I need a mediator? Like, how do I pray? It's, it's such a confusing concept for so many people who are wanting to follow Jesus. Part of it, I think, is that, you know, we do think God is so far away, and yet he is so intimately close. But I think the other thing is that we just what do I say? You know, what, what, what do I say? I think I'm going to sound dumb. I think, you know, some people when they pray, they're so profound and beautiful and elegant. And I, when I pray, I just, I sound like a stumbling idiot moron who can't spew words out of my mouth. It's like, you know, come on. What do I say? I have a friend who has a very deep Scottish accent. And when he prays, it's like you can hear the birds singing behind him. It's like <laughs> the heavens just open up and it's just beautiful and light starts shining upon him. And it's like, Nobody wants to pray after he's done, right? Like, you want to be in a prayer circle with that guy? You're not going to have much prayer after he's done because nobody, nobody wants to follow that act up. But when we look at ancient examples of prayer in Scripture, like, what you find is that they're very organic. Prayer is very conversational in Scripture. The Psalms, for example, are basically just a bunch of prayers put to words, or put, put to songs. And so you have these people who are screaming at God and yelling at God and lamenting and, and telling God about how, how, where is he? You know, God, are you, do you even care anymore? Do you even, are you even concerned that my life is just falling apart? Some people, you know, express great gratitude and express great thanks, and they praise God as well within the Psalms. But those who had a relationship with God simply talked with him about their everyday experiences. My life is going downhill, God, and so you need to know about him. Here's how I'm feeling in this circumstance, God. No, I need you to know about it. Their fears, their worries, they responded to God with questions about their everyday lives. They, they questioned God's intentions. They questioned what he was up to, his abilities when life didn't even make sense. They yelled at God when life didn't seem just. They cried to God when they were hurt. They praised God and gave thanks when life was full of blessings. They were very honest with God, and their prayer life was basically a conversation with with their heavenly father because it reflected a very simple yet profound fact we are in a relationship with god it was like a son talking to a very wise father about living in a crooked world and the father helping the son navigate it well right the father would offer advice offer wisdom offer insight into what's going on sometimes the father would offer very stern advice at times The father would warn his child of the pitfalls of living wrongly. The father might celebrate when life worked well. There are times when the father would have to tell the son to stop praying and start working. Conversation, right? We are in a relationship. Compare this relational, conversational prayer life with the uh, prayers of the Israel. with the, with the pagans, right? We have the with conversational, very organic, very natural, 
relational prayer life of the Israelites, and you have the life of the pagans. This is a prayer offered by Cato the Elder in roughly 300 BC. He says, Father Mars, I pray and beseech thee that thou be gracious and merciful to me, my house and my household, to which intent I have bidden this suave tarilia, that is basically a sheep, a goat, and a ram or a bull, to be led around my land, my ground, my farm, that thou keep away, ward off, and remove sickness, seen and unseen, barrenness and destruction, ruin and unreasonable influence, and that thou permit my harvest, my grain, my vineyards, and my plantations to flourish and to come to good issue. Preserve in health my shepherds and my flocks, and give good health and strength to me, my house and my household. Now those are all good things, right? Those are things that we pray for as well. That God would be, um, uh, provide a blessing upon our household, that we would be kept safe, that we would have abundance in what we are working towards. But, he continues, to this intent, to the intent of purifying my farm, my land and my ground and uh, making an expiation, I have, as I have said, deign to accept the offering of these suckling victims. Father, Mars, to the same intent, deign to accept the offering of these suckling offerings. So God, I'm going to do something for you, Mars. And now, Mars, I want you to do something for me. I'm bringing these sacrifices to you. Now I expect you to meet my needs as well. It's contractual, right? It's a little give, it's a little take. That's how the pagans prayed. Pagan prayers were phrased like legal documents, obligating the deities to particular actions. The gods were the landlords, and human relationships to them was not loving or caring. It was a business transaction. The disposition of the gods towards humans was negative. Humans were a burden and annoyance, and they just kept the humans around because the humans offered them food in the form of sacrifice. They offered them praise and honor. They puffed them up from time to time, and so they kept them around because they needed humans to work the land and to feed them. And so what you'll find in ancient pagan prayers is a long list of deities' names, all the accomplishments of the deities, because the humans wanted to make sure the deities were on really good terms, on really good standing, so that they would be in really good moods, and they would provide the humans with all the things that they were asking for. See, the gods had the power to make life either miserable or bountiful, and so, of course, you want the gods on your good side, and so you're going to offer them prayers. It's a business transaction. But when Jesus begins teaching about prayer in Matthew 6, he simply tells them to approach, he tells his disciples to approach God humbly and simply. Call God Father. That's all you need to do, right? You don't need 50 names for God and a list of all of his accomplishments to puff him up. God is not insecure Call him Father and move on with it. Call him Father. Get on with it. Call him Father and begin a conversation. The pagans had to include a plea for every situation and from every angle because in their legally binding prayers, if they forgot something, then the gods had a loophole. And they didn't have to abide by the legal document or this legal prayer that was being stated. See, the, the gods are greedy and selfish landlords, and they'll take advantage if humans will let them take advantage of them. But God isn't like that. God is caring. He's a loving Father who desires our best, and He already knows exactly what is going on anyway within our hearts and within our minds. And so let's be honest with them, like a child approaching a father. Now, I don't know what your relationship with your father is, and so I I get that approaching God like a father might actually be very challenging for some of you. I get that that can be very hard. But imagine your father is sitting at a desk, and he's paying the bills. He's, he's managing the household, right? He's taking care of the household. He's making sure that the house is a place of peace, that it's well put together, 
He's doing what is his responsible for and in creating an environment where you can thrive or security can be the norm and you, the child, approach him with whatever is on your mind and whatever is on your heart and whatever is concerning you at the moment. You approach your dad and your dad already knows what's going on because he's your friend on Facebook, right? And he reads your Twitter account and so he already knows what's on your heart and mind. You've already, you know, displayed it to the world before you've approached your father. So he knows what's going on. And you simply go up to him and you say, Hey, Dad. And a conversation begins. His response isn't to be annoyed with you, that you're bothering him in the busyness of his work. His response isn't to be perturbed that you're distracting him and he has more important things to do than spend time with you. It's not like that. That's not how God responds. You're not interrupting him. You're not bothering him. I mean, for those of you who are parents, right, come on, if your child comes to you when you are in the thick of the work that you need to accomplish, let's be honest a little bit here, right? I mean, don't you kind of just stiff arm, going, ah, I don't got time for you. Get away. Maybe it's just me, okay. Um, I mean, come on, when, you're, when your kids come to you in the middle of the night and they're like, oh, Dad, you know, it's three in the morning, Dad, I dropped my blanket, can you help me? I'm like, a child, can't you just get that blanket yourself? <laughs> like, really, did you have to come and wake me up? Oh, Dad, but I'm thirsty. I need a cup of water. Well, yeah, you know how to turn a faucet on. Like, go back to bed. Like, why are you bothering me, right? These are, my, these are my reactions when my child comes and I'm busy and I'm doing something that's really important, like sleep. Yeah, so it's very important. But God isn't like that. You come to God and he's never too busy to hear your prayer. He's never too busy to have a conversation with you. He's never too busy to be in relationship with you. You go to your father in heaven and you say, hey, Dad, and his response is, what's going on? What's going on? Let's talk about it. And the conversation begins where you are open to receiving the wisdom that he is willing to pour out upon you. See, God is a father who delights in meeting the needs of his children. And I think Jesus predicates effective prayer on a relationship of intimacy, not a business partnership. And so when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray in Luke 11, which is our text for today, it's appropriate, I think, that he begins by saying, Father, yeah, you're not my lawyer, okay? Um, you're not my uncle. You're not my babysitter. You're not the boss who I just despise secretly, right? You are my father. And I believe that you love me, and I believe that you care for me, and I believe that you want what's best for me, and I believe that you are on my side, and that you are my greatest cheerleader. I believe all of these things about you, Father, that you are for me. And so... May your name be honored and magnified and made famous and may be known as holy and may your name be defended because I know truly who you are. And as I encounter a broken world, as we all will encounter a broken world, God, may your kingdom come. And as I express the, the brokenness within myself, God, may your kingdom overwhelm my life so that I might become more like you. And as I encounter needs within my own life or in the lives of others, give us each day our daily bread. Provide for our needs. And when we fail, God, I ask that you'd forgive us because I have looked to your example as you how, how you've forgiven me and I want to extend that same forgiveness to others. And when we feel lost, God, please, please guide us. 
So you got the Father's name, and you got the Father's kingdom, and you got the Father's provision, and you got the Father's forgiveness, and you got the Father's guidance. All of these lead up to a life that says, God, I'm pleading with you that my life might look like your life. As I walk upon this planet, may my life look like the life of Jesus. And what does that look like? You know, what does tracing God look like? What does tracing the life of Jesus look like? What does is, what is mimicking and copying the life of Jesus look like? I think Paul said it best. In Ephesians 1, he said, imitate God by walking in the way of love. Follow God's example, walk in the way of love. Trace God, walk in the way of love. Live like God by walking in the way of love. But if love is a fruit of God's spirit, it's not something that we can just conjure up and try really hard to do, then what is our responsibility? And our responsibility, my friends, is to ask for it. Ask for it. Jesus continues his teaching to his disciples about prayer by telling a story. He says, suppose you have a friend. And you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And so one night you're lying in bed, right? And, 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 you're, and you're laying there and you're falling asleep and all of a sudden you, you, you get jolted awake and you're like, oh. and you turn over to your, your, your spouse lying in bed and you're like, oh my goodness, hey, 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 hey Emily, like, where, where's that letter that Frank sent us? And you're like, oh, my, she's over in the pile of mail. You know, a pile of mail that's like, you know, yeah, okay. So you, you go digging through that pile of mail, and you're like, oh, Frank, 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 okay. September 30th, Frank is coming, and he wants to stay at our place. Like, we have a guest coming to stay at our house. And why do we have teenagers who eat every morsel of food in our house for the love of we have no food to offer our guest? Now, this doesn't seem like a big deal in our day, but today, to Jesus' audience listening to this story, they would have been like, oh, no. Oh, don't, Jesus, don't go down that road. This is dangerous road. No, 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 please. No, no, he's got to have food because if he doesn't have food, if he cannot be a hospitable host, then he is going to lose his reputation in community and in a Jewish community. That was everything. Hospitality was of supreme importance in their day. One rabbi even said that um, welcoming a, a guest into your home is more important than welcoming God himself. Like, this is of prime importance. Welcoming people, being hospitable is of prime importance. And this man cannot be hospitable. And so he is nervous. And so what does he do? He goes to his friend's house. He goes to his neighbor's house. And he says, hey, give me some bread because I have a friend coming and I do not have anything to give to him. He's desperate. He is desperate for, for help in this regard. And he can do nothing but rely on the generosity of his friend, he can do nothing but rely on what his friend is willing to do. And you have nowhere else to go. This is a desperate plea. I need your help, please. I need your help. And suppose the one inside answers. He continues. Don't bother me. The door is already locked. My, my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I mean, the friend from inside yells, I'm in bed. Like, get out of here. You're going to wake up my whole family. Why are you bothering me with this? This isn't my issue. It's not my deal. Go figure it out yourself. I've already shut up my house. I've already locked my doors. I've already crawled into bed. Besides, don't you know that all my family is sleeping? Like, in, in a Jewish household, oftentimes they'd have one large bed, and they'd all sleep in the same bed because it would preserve body heat. Don't you know that if I have to get out of bed, I'm going to have to crawl over my three kids to go to my cupboard to get bread for you? And if I wake my kids up in the middle of the night, they're not going to go back to bed. And do you really want cranky kids? I don't want my kids to be cranky tomorrow. You don't want my kids to be cranky tomorrow. So, hey, get out of here. Stop yelling. Stop knocking on my door. Go home. Figure it out some other way. But you can't go away. 
You can't go away because you are desperate for this bread. Your reputation and the standing in the community depends on you getting this bread. Now, we don't get this, right? Because in our day, if a friend comes late at night to eat, we're like, hey, yeah, Taco Bell's open all night. Perfect. You know, let's just go get some tacos. Perfect. You know, let's go sit at that diner all night. We don't get this because the plethora, the availability, hospitality isn't even that important to us, unfortunately. But to them, in Jesus' day, this would have been a very, very, very dire circumstance. And so what do you do? You keep knocking because you need that bread. You are desperate for this bread. But the man won't budge, right? He's sleeping. It's inconvenient and annoying that he had to get up and to help. And so he tells you to go away. Get out of here. I'm not going to help you. But what do you do? You keep knocking and you keep yelling and you plead and you plead and you plead until your hands bleed upon that door because you need this bread. You are desperate for the bread. And I tell you, Jesus continues, even though he will not get up and give you the bread, because of friendship. Like being a friend, right? Just, that's just not enough. <laughs> yeah, you're a good neighbor, you know, but like, no, I'm not going to help you. It's too inconvenient. It'll disturb too much of my house. Go away. But because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need because you're just so freaking annoying. Because you wouldn't give up, because you just kept persisting, and you wouldn't stop knocking, and you wouldn't stop yelling, because he just wanted you to shut up and go away, he finally got out of bed, and he gave you everything that you need. See, Jesus used the story to illustrate what our prayer life ought to look like, and so what are some of the words that I've used? Persistence, desperation, dependence, reliance. Does that describe your prayer life? I mean, let's just be honest for a minute. Desperation, resi- resilience, I didn't say that word. Desperation, persistence, dependence, reliance. Does that describe your prayer life? I say to you, Jesus says, ask. In the same way that the man asked, and it will be given to you. Seek like the man sought out, and it will be you'll find. Knock, knock, and knock, and knock, and knock some more until your hands bleed upon that door, and you will discover that the door is open for everybody who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be open to you. So friends, ask with desperation. Ask, cry out, seek wholeheartedly, knock without ceasing. Persistence is the key. I mean, think of a child tugging on his daddy's shirt, like I'm in a really important conversation with a with a colleague, and my son comes up to me, you know, Luke, I love Luke, but like, come on, like, tugging on my shirt. Hey, daddy, 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 daddy. Yeah, okay, but uh, just one second, okay? But daddy, but daddy, uh, buddy, buddy, I'm just, I'm in a conversation. Daddy, 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 what? Can't be the only one. Come on, parents. Like, come on, like, hey, bud, what do you, what do you need? Like, I will, fine, okay, you are so persistent. What do you need? I will get you what you need so that you would just leave so I can get back to my conversation. And God says, do it. Jesus says, do it. Be that little child tugging on God's shirt until you get the answer that you want. Persist, persist, persist. But notice that it's not just persistence for persistence sake. I know that um, many of you have learned prayers that you grew up with and you learned as a child and you still say those prayers now, and so, so many people will come and they'll say, well, if I can just say this prayer 15 times, then I'll get what I want. 
It's not a ro- this isn't robot. This is robotics, right? This is relationship. God just says, come to me with your concerns and your needs and your cares and your worries and your fears. Talk to me like a child would talk to his father. Seek and you will find. I mean, how, how many times has Emily said to me, and she said it yesterday, I was looking for a gift card um, in her wallet. She's like, yeah, it's in my wallet. I'm like, okay, sure, I'll go to wallet and look through. Yeah, I didn't find it one time. Okay, look through it again. Nope, not still not there. Nope. Ah, Emily, there is no gift card in this wallet. I looked through this wallet three times. There is no gift card. Yeah, give me that thing. She looks over it five seconds later. Here, she takes it. That's a man thing, by the way. Okay, I'm just saying. <laughs> but like, come on. If the thing is there, if you give up looking for it, you're never going to find it. But if it is there, the only way to find it is to persist in finding it. Knock and the door will be open to you, Jesus says. If you knock once and you walk away, aren't you basically playing ding-dong ditch with God? Like, I prayed once. I didn't hear anything, and so I left. I said that prayer before I went to bed, and I didn't feel anything, and so I went to sleep. That's not a relationship. Knock on the door, Jesus says. Scream at the house. Knock on it until you're hands begin to bleed upon it, right? Scream at the house. Tell God how desperate you are because God is a good father and he cares for you. And so which of you fathers, if your son asks you for a fish, right? If he pleads and begs for a fish, you're not going to give him a snake. Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? I mean, not even the, the worst of fathers would do that, Jesus says. If you then, though you are evil... I'm sure Jesus' disciples, the one listening in, said, hey, thanks, Jesus. That's a nice compliment. Thanks. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give, give, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give? How much more will the Father who loves you and is the embodiment of love and cares for you and wants your best and is on your side and is your cheerleader, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the gift of his Holy Spirit? To anybody who asks it of him. That is what that next, thank you, sign says. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now Jesus didn't say that if you ask long enough and persist in asking and you're just loud enough and you yell loud enough that you're going to get whatever you want. He says that if you ask. God is eager to give away this incredible gift himself, his spirit to anybody who asks. See, God wants to empower our love, right? He wants the fruit of God's spirit to be amazing and bountiful in us. And so imagine that you have a very young child, and this child wants to push her baby sister in the stroller across tall grass, it's not going well for her. And so you tell her, hey, 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 baby, why don't you just let me do it? She's like, no, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm independent. You've, you've raised me to be independent, daddy. Like, come on, like, let me do this. I'm like, oh, okay, fine. And so she tries and she tries and she tries. And of course, she doesn't get anywhere. She can't. She's not strong enough. She can't accomplish the task in front of her by her own strength and by her own efforts. And so she could either, by her own strength, try until the sun went down to get that stroller across the grass. Or I could, as the one with the strength and the ability, as her father, intervene 
And I could come to her and I could say, hey, why don't I pull it while you push? And there's cooperation involved. We're both doing half the task and we're both accomplishing what we were set out to do. We get the stroller through the grass, right? This is an image of a father bending low and saying, hey, let me empower you. Let me give you some of my strength so that you can do the task at hand. And so no, notice that this is a cooperative power. That the spirit that God provides us is cooperation. See, when we surrender to our own will, when we let go, say, God, I have this, I have this, God, no, I'm going to do it all myself. When we say, God, no, I need your help. I need your help. When we surrender our control, it doesn't make us puppets. It's not like, good, I, I let go of my, my, my hands, I, I, I surrendered, and that God didn't throw a rope around our necks and start dragging us now. We're not puppets on a string. It simply makes us willing. Willing to do what God has called us to do. It empowers us now to move forward. And so this image of a father bending low is in a cooperative, empowering spirit that he provides us to do the work that he has called us to do. And so before we do anything, before we move and take a step and make decisions, we have a responsibility not to try harder, but to simply ask. My challenge to you then is before you do anything, and I mean anything, my friends, pray first. Pray first. And then learn to pray always. In every circumstance, learn to pray. Before confronting your child, what do you need to do? You need to pray first. Before you walk into the door after a long day of work and you know that that house is full of chaos and you're like, what am I going to do? You're going to pray first. Before confronting your boss, what are you going to do? Pray first. Before you get onto the highway, you're going to pray first. Before you turn on your computer screen and you know that the screen that you're going about to look at is going to suck you in to all sorts of paths that you don't want to go down, pray first. Before you stand on the sidelines of your child's sporting event and you know that that is the place where just anger begins to erupt and your mouth begins to shoot off in directions that you always regret, pray first. Before you answer the phone and you know who's calling you, pray first. Before you write that text, pray first. Before you get on social media, pray first. Before your fingers hit and type those words, pray first. Before you spend your money, pray first. Before you say yes, pray first. My friends, before you get out of bed in the morning, pray first. Seriously, so thing, God's not going to force you to be his vessel. Even though he desires for you to be his vessel, he is not going to force you to be his vessel. He's not going to throw that rope around you and drag you now into a new kind of life. This is a cooperative spirit. We are dependent on God because he is the source of our strength. He is our empowerer. I am going to invite the band forward and we're going to sing one final song as we reflect on this for just a moment. So this series is really all about learning to love. It's about learning to love. It's learning to be like Jesus, to trace the life of Jesus, to, 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 to copy him, to mimic him. 
to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to apply that same love then to our neighbors. The way we sometimes talk about that here is that we are called to know God and to make him known. Here's the thing, though. If love comes from God, if it is generated by his spirit, then we are dependent upon God to do it in us. And so if that's true, then Paul's words to the Thessalonians, I think, are so important for us. He says that you must pray continually. First Thessalonians 5.17, pray continually. And say, well, my friends, before anything happens in your day, pray first. But then, learn to pray always. Pray through it. Have a conversation with God, right? He is, he, he is a loving Father who wants your best. And God, I pray that, that my life would be an active life of prayer, constantly asking God to empower me then to live my life. It's that simple. It's not about our trying hard. It is about asking God as we are dependent, reliant, persistent, desperate. And so I hope that you would learn to pray first and that you would learn to pray always. And as then you go throughout your day, you might see this development take place in you. That you might begin to look more like Jesus. And that your neighbors would take notice, that your coworkers would take notice. Not because you're trying really hard to do it, because you are learning to rely more on the empowering spirit of God.